Not knowing can be a torment. And I don't just mean that it bothers you. I mean that it is in not knowing that the devil is able to torment you. One of the experiences in life that's like not knowing is powerlessness. And you think about it, they're kind of the same feeling. That's the portion of the text that has been most in my heart this week, John 20, verse 13, where these angels, these amazing, glorious, godly-looking men of light, ask this lady Mary, this whore, repented. They ask her why she's crying. And she's, she's in Jesus' tomb. They ask her why she's crying. And she says, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know. I do not know where they have laid him, she says. But I think there's more going on in her mind. Mary is an interesting character in the Bible. One of the hardest things about her story is that her story might include more than things that name her. So, for example, some will associate Mary Magdalene with the woman caught in adultery who's going to be stoned to death in John 8, to whom Jesus says, you know, go, neither do I condemn you. But it doesn't use her name, and we don't really know. I've also heard it implied that the woman who breaks an alabaster jar and washes Jesus' feet in preparation for his death, although maybe she doesn't still know that yet, he says it, but the idea of some is that this also is Mary, and that in her having been healed, saved, fixed, redeemed by Jesus so far, uh, she is giving at that moment all she ever made from her life of, of pornea. Pornea, magical prostitution. Please know this before you know anything else I'm going to say today. It's about demons. It's about demons. And you have nothing to be afraid of from the demons. But pornea is always about demons. So is idolatry. So is bloodshed at the end of the day. And of course, sorcery is what the demons really want you to get into. Well, that's what she was into. That's what she was into. Cultic prostitution. Come to me, sleep with me for a price, and my gods, who maybe even help me tell the future or move a rod or telepathically connect with somebody else and give you answers, speak to the dead, all things which have happened and do happen everywhere in the world, including the U.S. We just don't believe it happens here because we don't believe in such things. She was doing all of those things. Now, let me give you one more piece from the Bible to emphasize just how much you cannot get out from this. Can't get away from this. That Paul, while he's in a foreign city, talking to people day in, day out in the marketplace and in the streets about the Hebrew scriptures and how the wisdom of the king obviously points to the wisest guy there ever was who died and rose. You should meet this guy, Jesus, hear about him. And he's followed around by this young woman who's a slave, but She's also quite powerful in that she has the ability to tell the future. And she's made her owners quite rich. 
Now I'll tell you, that's quite a game if she's faking it. And she really pulled the eyes over the Bible by getting the Bible to say she wasn't faking it, if she was faking it. So, so what this really means is that in every time and place, there are demonic powers, powers of darkness that can be tapped into and will allow you to do more than a normal human ought to do, always with a price, usually to the third and fourth generation. That might sound familiar. Again, I don't know a lot about this. I'm reading a book. I'll try to talk to you about that later. I'm skeptical of the book. But what I know is it's real, and we don't know enough, and we don't believe it's true. And now let's go back to Mary again. So Mary believed it was true. And she sought the power to come out of whatever horrible life she'd grown up in so that she was pressed in this situation where she had no choice as a Jew to worship demons and commit prostitution. Thanks, Pharisees, for helping out. Tut, 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 tut. But the system was bad, right? The system's always bad. It's always collapsing. But then along comes this guy, Jesus. Does he just not forgive her? I think it's more than that. We're told very clearly he casts seven demons out from her. There are seven evil spirits that we cannot imagine the malice, torment, and madness they would impart to someone from the inside, unless you've been there. I don't think you have. I hope you haven't. But she's got all that going on, and Jesus rips it out of her. How? Well, he's God. He just did it. Can you imagine how devoted she is to him now? Imagine that in this this state, when she was formerly uh, practicing divination and whatnot, it was never pleasurable. Imagine that she'd be thrown on the ground or racked with madness she couldn't understand. It would be against her will, tormenting her. That's the word, torment. And this is where what I want you to learn from today is not how to avoid possession yourself, but how to fight back against torment because you don't have to be possessed to be tormented. You just have to listen. You just have to listen to what they say and give them your time. We're going to come back to that too. But her torment was so much on the inside, seven demons, again, a holy number, but also a horribly profane thing. Imagine again the freedom when she lives days and days and weeks and weeks following this guy Jesus and the madness and the hate and the pain and the attack that she knew as a witch never descends on her again. Now, I'm going to uh, be very frank this morning to try to illustrate this. Uh, If you watch any of my stuff I do online, you already know about the fact that I have a a disorder, a mental disorder is the language that the psychologist would tell me. That feels great. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, what it is, is a overly complex series of habits and emotional realities that I built as a child to overcome the fact that I was as an infant neglected and also then as a very young man, sexually abused by an older neighbor. I didn't know most of that until this last year, by the way. But I knew that I struggled with something that was very, very overwhelming to me, something that would torment me on a regular occasion. Uh, My family also knew about it and continued to forgive me through it. We didn't know why, we didn't know what. In this last year, I got the diagnosis by reading a book. Your elders learned about it right away. Uh, People within the congregation, we've been talking through this. Uh, I have been a pastor all these years and You didn't know, and as far as your life goes, you don't really have to know until I tell you about it. In fact, the good news about this particular diagnosis is with the tool belt that comes with the diagnosis, I can eventually so overcome the disorder that no one in the entire world will ever know except me. 
problem is the way I do it is I'll have to always know more. I'll always have to feel worse. I'll always have to be somewhere that no one else can be because I'll have to remember that pain that I don't want to remember and then not share it with anybody. Now, the prognosis from psychology is I will never actually get over that, ever. The prognosis from Christianity is a little different. It seems to imply healing of all types, but I also know that the secular world says that healing mythologies are a standard way people with psychoses attempt to avoid the diagnosis and deal with the real problem. So I'm skeptical of myself on all these things. But I can tell you this for a fact, a fact as there is daylight, is that if Jesus took this away from me, if he removed the fit that comes upon my heart, especially at night when I don't think anyone loves me, if he would take that away from me, and then I were to think it was going to come back, I wouldn't know what to do. And that's where Mary is in the tomb. The guy who fixed it's gone. There were seven. What happens next? Can you feel that? Somebody testify if you can. Amen. Amen. He is risen. Hallelujah. He's right behind her. Now there's the bit about she sees the tomb, she runs and gets the apostles. Let's do that for half a second. John and Peter, they see this woman, former prostitute. Can they trust her? She's not a witness. You cannot testify as a witness in Jewish law as a woman, period. And you need two men. They listen. They go. They run. Peter's old. John's young. John gets there first, and he stops. He doesn't go into the tomb. He just looks at it. Peter, whew, Right past him, straight in the tomb. I mean, I, I imagine he didn't like do the jump, right? But, but, but there's that kind of energy involved in it. And John highlights this in his gospel to show that Peter was willing to die. Peter didn't care anymore. And Peter will go into the tomb sooner than John. And John again tells the story to say to those who are hearing him at the turn of the century when he writes his gospel, first century, around 100. He's telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to die too. Peter died first. We knew this because at that moment, Peter went in the tomb first and I waited. Now, is that how history always works? No, but that's how John says this one works. So again, Peter runs to the tomb. And what I want you to take out of the whole thought today about how you're going to fight the torment in your life where you find it. We'll come back to that. You're going to take out of it an idea, which is that it is better to run to the tomb. It is better to cast yourself into the tomb than stay here tormented. It's better to be Mary, afraid of the torment in Jesus' tomb than to be on her own out there anywhere. And the fact, again, is that in Jesus' tomb, there is no only death, just the appearance of it. What there is instead is a resurrected man who makes you one with his body and blood, yea, so you shall never die again. Peter throws himself into the tomb for that reason. And again, Mary's there talking to the same guy, only she doesn't get it. Still, she thinks he's the gardener. And gardener is not the best English groundskeeper, you know, trustee maybe works. It's a, it's a, 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 um, a place where wealthy people are buried, right? So he's not just a gardener. But in any case, it doesn't matter. Uh, this is not unlike what will happen later that day, same day, first day of the resurrection, Easter Sunday, 
when Jesus will show up on the road to talk with a couple of disciples. They're going to Emmaus. And they go the whole way to where they're staying without knowing it's Jesus for a moment, even as he talks to them about how the entire scriptures said that the Christ must suffer, die, and rise again. And don't you guys get this? How can you not get this? They still don't get it. It's not until he breaks bread in front of them that they get it, which should point us to the Lord's Supper very directly. Notice, though, they don't see Jesus until Jesus reveals himself to them. Yeah? And so also, Mary does not see Jesus, even with the angels proclaiming it, until Jesus reveals himself to them. What do you take from this? It takes, you take from this the fact that when you believe, it's because Jesus called you. You don't believe because you made a choice. You don't believe because you made a decision. You made a decision because Jesus called you. And when Jesus called you, he inspired you. He put spirit inside of you. He said, your name is baptized. And whatever your name was, when you were baptized, your name is Jesus given, Christian name, first name, last name from the father, inherited sin, first name, Christian name. That's what the tradition comes from. Your baptismal name is who Jesus says you are until that day when he will give you a new name written on a white stone. It's in Revelation. Look that one up. It's kind of cool. Put in your pocket. Just you and him know it. But until then, you are who you're baptized. And that name as a name of a son of God, an heir of the kingdom of heaven, is made to stand against the powers of darkness in the fact that you're a member of his body. Now, being a member of his body is where Proverbs 31 is going to help us this morning. And we're going to move in that direction to talk about church and what it means to be the picture of the church, which is what Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and every mother who ever was, is. We're going to come to that. But first, more time on this idea of torment. Because as much as you can go home and attempt to live your life by the Ten Commandments properly understood or sort of as we think about it, love your neighbor as yourself, love God, go to church. You do that and you do that without wisdom. You're not really going to be fighting against the darkness. You're not really going to be fighting against the torment. If the rules of God, the word of God are just some precepts that you're kind of doing so you don't get in trouble. Well, the devil's just smarter than that. And you're just not that smart. And so the fact, again, is that demons want to torment you. Whether you're a Christian or not, they are able to do this. And it has everything to do with whether you listen to them and with whether or not you are praying the scriptures and reading them so as to have the mind of Christ be the thing you are listening to instead. Now, I mentioned this this book earlier, Occult Bondage and Deliverance, Counseling the Occultly Oppressed by Kurt E. Koch. He deceased 1987. Noted German theologian, minister, and evangelist, received a doctor of theology from Tübingen. It's a very prestigious university in in Germany. Uh, He pastored in the state Lutheran church. That means he was a government official who did Sunday morning because the government paid him to. But then he also made a lifetime of studying the occultically oppressed in various new mission Christian communities, say Africa, Asia, where he would talk with people who used to be witch doctors, who used to be practitioners of magic, who had converted. Or he would talk with people who would say that they can't convert because of the demons that won't let them. And he wrote all this down, and that's what this is. I I don't know that I recommend you read this at all. I'm going to read it for us, and I'm going to try to bring you what's good out of it. And I'll tell you what's the most important thing I've found so far. 
is that the first sign of torment in your life is that you don't want to read the Bible. Wow. Now, maybe he's just a pietist. Maybe, maybe nobody gets that, and, 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 and we, we're just having a hard time, and he doesn't understand that, that we're doing the best we can. I know I don't want to read the Bible. I do it. I love it when I do it, but I also know there's that part of me that's not even hungry. Now, the carnal flesh is going to be there. There's going to be a part of you that's not ever hungry. The question is, how's the battle? Are you opening it or not? If you're not, you're tormented. If you're a Christian, you're going to be because you're listening to somebody else. Why don't you have time? I mean, that, that is the reason, right? Is it time or is it energy? Okay, why don't you have time or do you have energy? Where is it going? Who's taking it from you? For all of human history, people have been able to open the, the Psalms and the Proverbs every day for 10 minutes and get a whole sort of stuff out of it. And can, can, can we? So that's the, where I want you to fight back, okay? I want you to realize that if you, in fact, notice in your heart that you don't want to read the Bible when I say, go read the Psalms, you're like, oh, but I don't want to. Okay, then. Then you have torment in your life somewhere. The darkness is winning somewhere, somehow. And you know what the answer is? Prayer. Prayer. Right now, Jesus, please help me want to read the Bible. Somebody testify? Huh? I mean, from there, if you can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Look at that. You just did read the Bible. If you can say those who trust in Jesus Christ are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, you just did read the Bible. So rather than having to have the read the Bible in a year plan for, you know, as your first shot out of the gate, why don't you try memorizing two amazing verses and saying them every single day? Praying them every single day. Not only will God answer your prayer with more Bible and more desire to read the Bible, but he's already answering it as you do it. What I want to encourage you today is to fight back with your prayer against the torment, the darkness, wherever you found it, however it might be. I don't expect it to be like mine, and I do not assume there's always a demon involved. Although, again, let me tell you that when there's a way for the devil to just flip a switch and talk to you for as long as he wants, as long as you're entertained, and then the switch turns off and you walk away and you don't even know where the last three hours went, how... How are you going to fight back against that? Honestly, how are you going to fight? You have to fight back somehow. Otherwise, you're just listening to the demons. Because you know they keep saying different stuff. They keep changing the story. Of course they are. This isn't the men and their greed. I mean, it's that too. But what the devil wants is confused people killing each other. That's all he really wants. Killing their babies too, if you can. Oh, look at that. Here we are. Yeah. So again, torment. How are you going to fight back? Pray that you would read the Bible if you're not. Dear Jesus, please let me read the Bible. Let me have a heart to read the Bible. And open your Psalter. Psalm 23 will never fail you, ever. And then from Psalm 23, like, like shuffle the page and just put a finger down in the Psalter on some random number. See what it says. Whole Psalm, not one verse, whole Psalm. It doesn't make sense? Ask me about it next weekend. Start a conversation in the lobby. Let's be a people who fight back against the torment. Huh? Now, left turn, all right? Left turn, Proverbs. Proverbs is, I mean, it's great for fighting back against the torment insofar as if you read it, if you pray it, it will be the word of God in your life. It will make you want more of the word of God and the life that he promises you in Christ. And in this way, the powers of darkness will eventually flee from you. That is the promise. This kind comes out by prayer, he says, of even the worst demons. So again, 
your prayer of the text is going to be the most powerful thing in your life. This text was chosen to be part of a series of prayers specifically for women in a women's group called the Daughters of Wisdom. The Daughters of Wisdom is a partner organization, or really it's not an organization, movement to something called the Sons of Solomon, which is a men's movement. Both of these are, I'm going to use fancy language, ecumenical prayer disciplines. Ecumenical prayer disciplines. Ecumenical. Any Christian can do this. Prayer. Okay. Disciplines. We do it. (laughs) The idea is that by praying a certain section of scripture that only a non-Christian could say, I don't want to do this. And even the most lazy Christian can do it again in 10 minutes of actual work a day. If all Christians in all actual Christian church bodies started working on this, it's not going to hurt us. It can only unify and bind us together. So there's a series for the men, especially in an age where men are hated for being men, to pray as men of God. It's not that the ladies can't also pray the prayers from the sons of Solomon. They certainly can. Those psalms are there for you. But as we decided to build this organization and this prayer together with men praying for the future of their families, we thought, well, why not add special prayers for the ladies that are about their life and their vocation with the men? That way, we get more Bible all at once in the whole church. Wouldn't that be great? The trick, again, is that Proverbs 31 apparently is very ill-liked by lots of Christian women. I'm just like, I mean, I get it. I know how easy it is to beat myself up. I, I really do. And I know how easy it is to take what is good and beat myself up with it. And I certainly know how much it feels like I haven't done the vocations I know I should do at the end of most days. But the antidote to me being imperfect is not to say the perfect sucks or that the perfect isn't good for me. Especially when you remember this. I said it already this morning. Nothing for you as a Christian is finally only a law. Nothing is finally only a do this or a don't do that. All of these things are promises. So let me take you to the Ten Commandments first. You shall have no other gods before Jesus Christ. That can mean two things. It's all how you want to hear it. It can mean that if you have other gods, instead of Jesus, he's going to send you to hell at the end of time. It can mean that. It does mean that. But for Christians, it doesn't mean that. You're not going to go to hell. What it means is that you have no other gods but Jesus Christ. And that's what you shall have happen. But the rest of your life, you shall have no other gods but Jesus Christ. You shall always remember his rest in the word of God on the Sabbath day. You shall submit to authorities because you know it's good for everybody. You shall seek to do good to your neighbor rather than murder him. You shall seek to have a healthy marriage rather than adulterous ones all over the place. You shall seek to tell the truth and not steal but benefit others. These are promises. You look at your life now and you say, I don't see it. And Jesus is like, that's the truth. You don't see it, but I'm going to make it come in embryo in this life. By faith in this life, but indeed, words, mouth, hands, lives given over, bought again, born again, redeemed and standing, filled with the Holy Spirit, truly confessing Christ is risen. He is risen. (laughs) Amen. So then this text, okay, it's all promise, not only for you ladies to cling to as what Jesus sees you as already. He's given you all you need to be this in his blood and plans to have you finally be revealed fully as the great flower that you are at the day of resurrection. For the rest of us who are men, it also applies to us in that, as I said before, 
the, the picture of woman in the Bible is the picture of the church. And the picture of man is the picture of Jesus. So that when the Bible at the end talks about the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, his bride is all of us. Does that mean we're all going to kind of get smooshed into one girl body? No, no, no. no. What it means is that the commitment that man is given to have to his wife in perfection is the commitment that he as God has to us as his people. And you see that in the picture of man and woman truly loving each other in marriage and the good that comes from it in the procreation of the next generation. And so the church has always seen, and by this I mean Catholic Christians, Lutheran Christians, Reformed Christians, that Mary, the mother of our Lord, is a picture of the church. You see her again in the book of Revelation, a woman crowned with 12 stars being chased by a dragon. That's Mary, but it's not Mary, that's the church. It's not the whole church, it's the Old Testament church, because what happens next is she has a baby, and the dragon wants to eat the baby, but he can't. The baby is taken up to heaven, and then the woman is kept safe in the desert for a time, times, and half a time. Or the woman kept going, did she now? That's because she's you now, the New Testament, right? So this image of the bride and the mother of us all in these stories now about Mary and Mary become stories of witness and stories of embrace, wherein this picture of the glorious woman, the church, is one we all want to be together. So then again, this text describes who we are together, all of us, as the church. So along with women knowing this is a promise for you at home, all of us know this is a promise for our congregation. And when we say it's no good, well, we don't want the promise. We want to be people of the promise. Okay, we're going to go a little bit backwards. We're going to start at the back of it with verse 31 and 30. Start with 30. 30 is probably the most clearly and singularly wise thing. It's the most quotable thing. Wherein you can say this anywhere, anytime to anybody, and it will make a lot of sense. They may not like it. But it's very, very true. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who fears Jesus Christ is to be praised. So there's three parts there. I really want to emphasize each of them. First one is charm being deceitful. To tell the truth, charm, deceitful, beauty, vain, these are a couplet. These are supposed to bounce off each other. They're not completely different, but they do have nuance. So what, what what is charm? It's not quite the same as just physical beauty, right? Physical attraction. Charm is that thing which draws you in. Interestingly, it's also a word for magic. Crazy that, huh? So charm is when someone's able to draw you in by things you aren't even able to know why. And wouldn't you know, it's deceptive. (laughs) You get drawn in by people who don't let you know why for reasons that are good for them, not good for you. What does that mean then? It means when you look for a husband, when you look for a wife, when you look for a friend, when you look for an employee, it really isn't about how they sell themselves. It's not about how friendly they are. It's not about what they appear to be. It's about things like, is there yes, yes? Is there no, no? Do they really follow through with what they say? Now, the trick here for young men, though, is that when you're out looking for a wife, I mean, you're going to want a beautiful one. You have to. You're, You're made to do that. And both before and after the fall, women, you're all made to be beautiful women, period, straight up. And if you don't think you are, you're looking at the mirror wrong, and maybe you didn't need a mirror in your life. I'll leave that over there for a moment. Point again, that 
beauty, so far as the world would have it, porneia, that, again, is fleeting. It doesn't last. The real beauty, the Bible says, of all of us, but women particularly, is a quiet and gentle spirit, something that can never be taken away from you. Huh? Even if you're all decrepit, if you can speak a quiet word of kindness that's understood and sees the other person for who they are, well, that, again, is beautiful, like quite literally. So what is this here for in part, men, so you would know? You're always up against a wall when you're trying to marry a woman. And if you just close your eyes, you probably do a lot better. Talk to her, right? Uh, don't assume that you feel love and it's love. You might just, you probably are feeling something else. Uh, charm, charm. Uh, the woman who fears Jesus Christ is to be praised. The rest of the verse is really something. I was uh, blessed to uh, give the prayer an invocation at a Boone County board meeting about two months ago. Uh, one of our members asked to, I would come over and do that. And, uh, you know, as a pastor, you kind of know that when you, when you do that, it's not just a prayer. You, you get a moment to say whatever you want to say. You know, be a prophet for a moment. And so, so I did that. I was pretty straight up with them, too. I talked about local politics over federal politics and protecting the common man on the street where you are, people. And, um, well, you know, they, they took it. Um, I, I read some Proverbs. I prayed a psalm. I said goodbye, goodnight, you know, name of Jesus. I left. I'm in the parking lot. And part of my complex, I'll, I'll confess this about my condition. I, I am so afraid, like always. So when I'm done with something like this, even up here, but especially there in a, in a new context, I wanted out of there as fast as I could. Right? So it's like, oh man, <laughs> get out. Because right? I'm, just, I'm just living like that. I'm, I'm a rabbit working on it. Any case, you know, the unexpected happens. I'm halfway to my car and I hear someone calling me from the door that's shut. I thought I got away. But here's what he's calling. Praise you, pastor. Praise you. What? I don't know that I've ever in my entire life had someone praise me. I turned around, I looked at him, he said, Ephesians 6, the armor of God. And then he said two other passages I don't remember. He quoted what they both were. He said, praise you. And he went back and said, I believe he was a member of the board. What struck me most again was how he praised me. He didn't worship me. He praised me. There's a joke going around right now in Lutheran circles. Have you? Can I get a show of hands? Do you know of Lutheran satire? Not enough. Okay. If you go on the internet, which I don't recommend, but you do, find Lutheran satire. There's a guy named Hans Feeney. He's a pastor in, oh, it's near Naperville, but south of there, south Chicago, suburbs in the west. He does this kind of cartoon humor about Lutherans. And the joke going around right now that's really quite funny is about we're the church where this happens, this happens, this happens. Lutherans, what are we? We're the church that doesn't even like our friends. And that's the joke. We're the church that doesn't like our friends. There's something a little too real in that, don't you think? And it, what is it? We're the church that doesn't praise anybody. If you listen, we don't. Even when we go out, we, we harp and we gripe and we cynic. We're really good at finding the problem. We're a bit too afraid to be the solution. A woman who fears Jesus Christ is to be praised. Husbands, it's more than just Mother's Day. And it's especially for her faith. For her faith. 
All right. From that, I already mentioned 31. The fruit of her hands to praise her in the gates. That's her children. Now, granted, if you do great works of other kinds, will that word come back and your name be known for the good you did? Of course there. But who's going to go to the gate when you're not at the gate to praise you there? Well, not your stuff. Huh? Your kids. And so arising to call her blessed, to be the next generation that's unashamed of speaking in the gate, which is what Proverbs 127 says about the sons and daughters of a faithful man. Same promise. It's almost like they go together, right? That in the gate, the next generation in the public square will be able to say we're Christians and we're going to stay Christians. You can do whatever you want to the laws. We're going to stay biblical Christians. Now, that's, that's what the fruit of a faithful womb is promised again. Promised in the Bible and the texts prayed, believed, again, confessed, taught, shared. All right, from there, all the way to the front, we're going to go verse by verse. We're going to spend different amounts of time and not do a lot on things that are symbolic, perhaps. So, an excellent wife who can find, she is worth far more than jewels. Sorry, better to be in poverty with a woman that you love living with than to be in wealth with a woman you can't stay in the same house with. You'll have less wealth and you'll still have pain. So how do you find this excellent woman? Let me tell you, pray. Women, for the men, pray. We just had this conversation at home recently. It's so easy to get torn up about how will the children find the right person. It's so easy to want to try to find a way to make that happen as a parent. What's not as easy, but it is, it's more easy, is every day saying, Jesus, will you please bring a faithful Christian to meet my child at the right time so that they have faithful grandchildren for me? Please. He likes saying yes to that. Now, if you're going to be like Abraham and sell your wife into adultery to try to make it work out a different way later, right, it may not come to pass. But I would suggest that being still and waiting on Jesus is, in fact, a strategy. It is not unbelief. You don't just have to do something, you pray. An excellent wife who can find every Christian man who marries an actual Christian woman. That's who. She is more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband can trust in her. I can't imagine living in a relationship without forgiveness. I just can't imagine it. There'd be no trust whatsoever. Everything would be a game. Everything would be one up on this and that. And do you remember? Oh my gosh. So to find a Christian woman, we're in together, male and female, you can forgive each other and learn to trust truly and authentically. My goodness, what a thing. You will have no lack of gain anywhere else. I mean, the gain you get from that alone will make everything else tolerable. So she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. I want to turn that verse back on Jesus here for a second. So if this is the church, that means that we as the church are here to do good to the name of Jesus. Another story I heard recently. I know a man, I won't tell you who he is, and he doesn't go to church here, but he is local. I know a man who is a professed Christian. And uh, he's well-known, he's older. I met a man just this last couple of weeks who also knew him. Knew him from way back. Long time in this area. You know, I'm, a, I'm green, right? I'm green. Three years. But he, long time. He said, oh, you know that preacher, do you? He called this other guy a preacher, not me. You know that preacher, do you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a liar. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. You should see what he said to his wife every day. You should hear what he talked like. You should see how he ripped people off. They're both in the same trade. 
Now, the thing that mattered most to me at that moment is he was using those moments to set up his defense for not listening to me about anything I would say about Christianity. He wasn't blaming the man. He was blaming the religion. Now, I just kind of listen, learn, and continue to pray. I have hope for both these men. I still know both these men, eh, one way or the other. But my point here again is, are we as the church going to do good to Jesus while we live here? Then it will be by attending to his word in our private lives, not just public. It won't be just about a show on Sunday. It'll be about how this is who we are. Come rain, shine, hell or high water, because hell we know won't come to us. Huh? So we seek to do good by clinging to the word. And then a woman, of course, why would you not seek to do good to your husband? It's like cutting off your own head. And men, why would you not do good to your wife? It's like cutting off your own hand. That's Ephesians 5. It moves through a lot of talk about economy. The word home and economy in Greek are the same word, which is interesting. You'll notice here also the idea of like, can a woman go to work just isn't really in the talk. Like what they're assuming is that you live near your home, you work near, you live in your home, you work near your home and near your people. What the modern world has done that's made it all so complex is everybody's driving far away on like giant iron horses to go do what we do. So we're not doing all these things together, which makes it more difficult. It is indeed hard to be a female who is a full-time real estate investor, investor uh, selling and buying and trading all the best stuff and spend all the time with your five kids. It's hard to do both, whereas in the ancient world, it was a bit easier, frankly. Huh? But the point is, what are you promised to be? So it's not about whether you can go and buy a field, sell a field, make this, make that. Nor is it about whether or not God blesses you with children. It's about that whatever God has you do, because you're made to do it, and your body, woman, is a good example of what you're made to do, men too, that you would receive that as gift, which you see as for the sake of giving to those around you. Because the God you have is so good, he doesn't need you to take care of one more thing for you. All of it's going to be taken care of. Now that's all promise again. It's all true. Your battle against the torment is going to be a different thing than that experience. But the promise is what you fight with. So again, can you work as a woman? It's the wrong question. Evidently, you're going to be busy with your hands for the good of your family. And then as you do that, in the various ways that it could come to pass in your personal broken, fallen world being redeemed by the words of Jesus. These are symbols of that. They're pictures of it. Then also go deeper in terms of our life together as church. Now, I'm not going to go into each one of these, but I, I will say verse 14, uh, she is like the ships of the merchant bringing food from afar. All I could think about this morning, every time I read it, my wife went to Costco yesterday. Now, uh, we live over here. Costco's way over there. She's like the ships of the merchants, bringing food from afar. It's exactly what she did for us, right? Uh, it's exactly what she did for us. Uh, she rises while it is yet night, provides food for her household. Every parent, every parent sleeps less. And they know it's good. It doesn't feel good, but they know it's the right thing to do, right? Uh, considering the field, buying it, dressing herself with strength and making her arms strong. That is going to be about arming yourself with the word of God. It's not about push-ups. It's not about your nutrition. It's about trusting that Jesus Christ is sufficient for all these things. Arm yourself with strength. 
perceive that that merchandise is profitable, that the lamp does not go out. Now, again, ladies, if you get up in the night, do you have to turn on a light to work? Yes. Is it about that? Yes. But go further. Remember the parable of the 10 virgins waiting for Jesus, oil in their lamps. Five go out, five don't as they wait for Christ. So when the lamp does not go out, see Christ there. That you will be waiting for Christ when he returns. Because that's what a faithful woman does. And again, guys, use this as a law by which you find a woman. Women, don't use this as a law. Use it as a promise of what God is going to keep making you. And start praying it. Start praying it daily and it will come to pass. All right. So then, lamp does not go out your faith. Staff and distal spindle, all this stuff, hands busy at night. Um, uh, women do seem to have a particular enjoyment for the, I don't know what to call it, the knitting and the this. My family, they all do it. Um, if you haven't tried that as a, as a lady, I don't want to sound pushy on this, but there is something about in the evening having your hands busy that for the men, well, we like the shop, but uh, it's, it's different. It's different. So that's, I think that's what it's about here. It's actually saying that. Um, opening the hand of the poor, reaching out the hand to the needy. This is just to have the heart to see the need as it passes. On your way out the door today, by the way, more packets to hand out to those on the street who are in need of a good can of sardines, because indeed uh, there's a lot of good protein in those sardines, as well as socks and whatnot in the bags, helping with the poor in the area. On to verse 21. This is super important here, I think, as well to see Christ. When it says she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet, on the narrow, it can mean that you will have enough in your home in order to provide clothing for your family for whatever they need to face. But more than this, more than this, clothed in the scarlet blood of Jesus Christ in the deepest, darkest winter and the greatest terrible storm, though all things in fact burn, there's nothing to fear. And so you can, as it says a little later, where is that one now? Laughs at the time to come, verse 25. Because strength and dignity, that's Jesus, are her clothing. Laughs at the time to come. Opens her mouth in wisdom, speaks with kindness, looks to her household, does not eat the bread of idleness, and so her children see her love them, rise up and praise her and all this. I want to come out of this, though, again, with laughing at the times to come. Because I've talked about some pretty dark stuff this morning. I've talked about what, you know, my, my particular, particular torment, uh, the fact that there are uh, demons that really are here all the time, and it is in forgetting that that's the battle we fight with our prayers, that we can really take responsibility for the collapsing civilization around us. Clearly, we have not been praying for it in the way that we once did. And we can know that because when I talk about how the feeling that I don't want to read the Psalms or I can't read the Psalms, I can't get myself to the Bible, that that's in fact demonic torment. Nothing but. And that we have to fight back against that as we are Christians who will. Not that we should be afraid again. There's nothing to be afraid of. There is only instead the confidence that you are immortal, that you are invincible against them, that no weapon forged against you as that one who believes in Christ shall ever come to your own damnation. But then all things you may stand up and laugh at the days to come. Because you know that every single one of them is made by Jesus for you. And even if it gets to that point where it's so bad, you can't imagine it would ever be that bad. And now it's that bad. Jesus will be there. And because you've been praying the Psalms, you'll have them memorized on that day. 
And instead of being like, oh no, oh no, you're going to be saying them to people fearlessly and glad. That is the reality. And again, I say to you, it can be ours in that narthex starting this week or next, as soon as you want to try it with somebody. And that when and if and as people come to this hill for all the great ideas that we would love to do in this area, it will be that that is the salt. It will be that that is the the grist for the mill. Because if it's not about coming here to talk to the other people about the words that will endure forever while the rest of the people go crazy and die, then we're just going to go crazy and die too. Pre-2020, I was very happy, very happy to have a long career as a pastor. Post-2020, tomorrow's not even coming. Jesus is coming back today. And if he doesn't, tomorrow's not even coming. He's coming back today, every day. Try that next time you're afraid of something three weeks from now or a year from now or 15 years from now. Live today. Fight against the torment because you are the light in the name of Jesus. Amen. Somebody testify. Amen.